G'day everybody and welcome back to the Extras. My name is Sam and I'm Rod and it's great to be with you here for I think what is our last Extras of the year but your first Extras of your life and uh, welcome Rod. It's uh, it's been great to have you at church and particularly having having you opening up the scriptures with us uh, last Sunday and uh, you're joining us for your first episode with us. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Been a bit of a whirlwind for you guys the last little while, landing in the country, starting a new role, um, and you've just you've just moved house. Yeah. How, how is that whole process this week? <laughs> well, it hasn't been straightforward, uh, but uh, we are very pleased to be in a new house, and um, we're starting to feel a little bit settled, and it does help us to feel much more settled in the whole new life in Australia yeah. scenario, so it's good. There you go. I reckon you've got a whole bunch of sermon illustrations of, you know, temporary home and, you know, not uh, not certainly putting down roots, all that kind of stuff. I feel like the, the God's just given you a whole bunch of things to use for future preaching, no doubt. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, mate, uh, we are here to answer some questions. Romans 11, uh, we've been working through this whole series uh, for the last couple of weeks, six weeks or so. Um, you've come in right at the tail end uh, with what I think is possibly the most challenging passage uh, of the whole section. Uh, but just to get us kind of up to speed, can you just give us a quick reminder, what was Romans, the end of Romans 11 all about? And uh, yeah, what was this section of the scriptures kind of focusing on? Yeah, uh, it's... As you say, there's difficulty here, uh, but to sort of summarise, I guess I guess the big thing is that uh, that God hasn't forgotten His people Israel, uh, but God plans uh, to bring salvation to them nice. through the Gentiles being saved. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Great. Yeah. So God, God's faithfulness has really been on trial at, mm-hmm. at one level. Um, has He given up on His word to Israel or not? Yeah. And Paul kind of has this resounding no. No, He's totally faithful. Um, and this is this is the yeah. pointy end. We've got a, a heap of questions. I think twenty questions, in fact, uh, to, to get through um, together today. Uh, so let's have a go. Um, the first three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of pull together yeah, at yeah. one level, and they all have to do with um, helping us define who Israel is. And so, if you've got your Bible there and you're listening along at home, it might be good to have Romans 11. We will be in the text a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, Romans eleven twenty five, Paul writes, um, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you won't become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Uh, there's a couple of questions just saying, look, help me understand who is Israel there? There's a few options. Is it something like the church with the, the fullness of the Jews plus the fullness of the Gentiles equaling the new Israel? Is it all Israelites? Is it chosen Israel? Um, uh, what is it? Can you help help us, Rod, just to get some clarity here? Yes, uh, I hope so. I think so. Um, so I think one of the things you can see in these chapters as a whole, these last few chapters, Paul has been talking about the nation of Israel, God, the national people grouping of mm. Israel, uh, and then he's differentiated that from the remnant within Israel who are believing, mm-hmm. and he's differentiated that from the Gentiles who mm. have come in as like ingrafted branches, yes, um, who are not part of the nation of Israel, but now form part of God's people, yes, in the church, yeah. Uh, and it just seems that he's continuing to use that language in the same way. It'd be very strange for him at this point to say Israel and to mm. mean anything other than the national people of Israel. People of that ethnic, um, ethnic heritage. So, so he's, he's differentiated that Israel from the remnant who are believing mm-hmm. and from the from the, Gos- the Gentiles who've come in. And so it seems here he's still using it in that same way mm. that it is Israel, the nation Israel. Mm. Um, and so and we, we both talked about on the on the weekend, it, it seems like what he is saying is that there will be some way in which 
the nation of Israel will be saved. Mm, yeah, um, through through the and we'll get into this in a minute in in terms of through the as they see Gentile believers take hold of the blessings that are theirs by birthright, there'll be a, a godly jealousy that that yeah. God arouses and they'll they'll come in yeah. in some fashion. Um, and it's interesting. It's worth saying. One of the questions here is about is pushing back on on something I think I said about I, I kind of talked about going toe to toe with John Calvin, you know. And mm. I'm always a little bit nervous when yeah. when you do that in a sermon. Um, and it's worth saying there are there are other views on this. And, and um, Calvin's being that um, Israel here really is the church, um, and that it is made up of the fullness of Jews and the fullness of Gentiles. Um, and now I want to. Um, agree theologically. Uh, going back to the the image of the um, the olive tree that we yeah, had yeah. last uh, last week, with um, you know the kind of Israel bush that Gentiles are grafted into, that makes God's new people. And there is a fullness of both types of people that is God's new people. But I, what where my little um, beef, if I dare say it, with Calvin is, is that I just don't think that God ever calls that new entity Israel. Um, he calls it the church, and he calls it his people, yeah. but not Israel per se. Yeah, there is that point in Philippians where, where Paul says we are the true circumcision and so on. Yes, so, yep, yep. Uh, but it just seems like he's not using that. Not using that, that here. here. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's I think right because he has differentiated those groups out so clearly. Yeah, it'd be very odd to suddenly. Yeah, start I think, that, I think that's right. So, so good to get. Um, and uh, it's good to get some clarity there. It's also worth noting there are different views around this, and uh, and that's that's how it is. So. Um, now, the second kind of question here in terms of just getting our um, uh, bearings in the passage, uh, verse 20, 32 speaks about God handing all over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Um, somebody's asked, is disobedience used interchangeably with sin? And I think probably the answer is, is more or less yes. Um, uh, as I think in particular Paul has in view the Jews' disobedience is their rejection of the gospel. Um, but he parallels it with uh, Gentile disobedience, um, uh, which uh, I guess all of us reject God as ruler over us. I think that's probably the bigger idea, which is basically how we define sin, isn't it? So yeah. I think that I think the answer there is yes. Really. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Shall I ask the next one? Well, uh, so Sam, for you then. Yeah. Um, uh, does Romans imply hardening of anyone other than Israel? Yeah, great question, and uh, I love sort of people asking, trying to um, think theologically. Um, I think that the answer here is is yes. Um, a couple of things that might point you to that. The it's worth saying the presenting issue for Paul is the problem of what's going on with Israel. That is absolutely what is sparking the question for him. But um, where he ends is verse 32, that God actually binds everybody over to disobedience, that there seems to be some kind of hardening that God does for everyone so that no one can say, hey, I'm here by my own effort or my own right. Every Anyone who is ever saved is because God has softened their heart and saved them Absolutely. because all have been hardened. Uh, but you can also go back to chapter 9 and uh, the, the illustration that Paul gives um, uh, in chapter 9, verse 16, um, where, uh, sorry, 9, 17, that God hardens um, Pharaoh uh, and uh, makes an example of him um, that um, God is the one who is sovereign over all. Um, so I think there's there's a specific example of somebody outside of Israel. Um, I think there's a more general point, though, that actually this is the way God works uh, with all people. But Paul's particular interest in Romans 9 to 11 is, well, what is God doing with the Israelite people and has he given up on them? 
Yeah. And I think you can just read in the next verse, 9, 18, God has mercy on him he wants to have mercy. Yes. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. So, yes, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Okay, uh, so let's dive in. Question six for you, Rod. Um, how do apostates, and maybe you can define that for us, um, fit into the view that God does not turn away anyone? So, uh, yes, again, good question. Um, and we're, we're delving into the, the, the deep things of God, I think, at this point, you know, God's eternal decrees. Um, so we need to tread very lightly mm. uh, because we, we don't ultimately know what God is going to do. He will reveal it in, in good time. He's given us clues, um, not always the full information. So mm. my understanding of what apostates mean is that those who won't ultimately be saved. Yes, um, yep. Uh, so... Uh, if there are this group who won't ultimately be saved, how does that fit with the view that um, uh, that God doesn't turn anyone away? Mm. Uh, well, you know, very clearly, Paul has already argued quite compellingly, quite clearly, that uh, the way that we are saved is by coming, by hearing the gospel and repenting and believing. Mm. Um, but that that is a gift that God gives us. The faith and obedience to yep. hear the gospel and respond in faith is a gift from God. Uh, so... Uh, God doesn't turn anyone away who comes in mm. faith and responds to the gospel. And um, you know, it's a John Jesus says, "Anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away." Yes, but um, uh, apostates are not apostate because they come to God and uh, and say, "Please, can I be saved?" And God says, "No." Mm. Um, actually, they don't come mm. and respond in faith to the gospel. That's right. They they don't take up the gospel offer. That, yeah. That's by definition what an apostate exactly. is. So God's not yeah. turning them away. They're not. They're not coming. Yeah. Um, uh, now, again, like you said, we're in the deep things of God here. We do wrestle with this a little bit more deeply. We did three episodes, if you want to go back in the back catalogue, on uh, what's the deal with predestination. Um, three episodes in one week. Jack and I worked that through off the back of our predestination sermon a couple of weeks back. Um, perhaps you'll find we do talk about that a little bit more deeply in there, and you can you can go back and have another a listen to that if that'll be helpful to you. Uh, all right, over to you, mate. What's what have we got next? So the uh, next one is is actually quite similar in lots of ways. Uh, picks up on something you said, Sam. No one is beyond God's mercy. Mm. Uh, and just ask, could you expand on how this fits in the earlier part of Romans, particularly thinking of Romans one eighteen to thirty two? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So Romans one. If you've got your Bible there, you might want to flick back. Um, that uh, Romans one speaks of God handing people over as they have exchanged worshiping God for the the folly of idolatry. God actually hands us over, gives us over three times, versus I think it's 24, 26, and 28. Um, he, he makes the point that God hands, gives over um, to sin. I don't think there that that is saying that God has therefore given up on, on every single person and that they are now beyond his mercy. In fact, the whole point of that is to say that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But then chapter 3, the beautiful news of the gospel, that now a righteousness um, has been made known through faith in Jesus Christ. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. so... Part of, I think, what Paul is saying in chapter 1 is quite in line with chapter 11, which is that God actually confirms us in our sins so that there's no shadow of a doubt that, that, that we would never think that anybody has somehow snuck in by their own good works or their own ability, but they're all, they're all too far gone, and yet God has mercy on them. That, I think, is part of the point of the gospel. And so... And I think, just to be clear, when I was saying on Sunday, um, I used that phrase, no one is beyond God's mercy. My, my point is not to say that um, everyone will be saved. It's not universalism in that sense. Um, but that there is no person that is like, oh, they've sinned too much that God could, couldn't um, show mercy on them. That's the whole point of the gospel, that even the most hell-bound, uh, like deplorable sinner can be shown grace because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the whole gospel. 
Um, not all will come back, um, but it's not, nobody is beyond it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So and praise God for that. Isn't, isn't that, that awesome? Wonderful? Yeah, yeah. That is the gospel. Yeah. So yeah. take heart and, uh, yeah. All right, one for you, Rod. Um, all about God's glory. And in fact, it's, there's two questions here. Um, doesn't God getting all the glory, which is where this passage ends, um, seem selfish and self-centered? And then follow up, can God be considered selfish for wanting all the glory to be given to him and him doing that through the hardening of human hearts? Is is God just a kind of psychopath who's um, self-centered and narcissistic and interested in himself? And is that a problem? Uh, no, he's not uh, a psychopath. Um, uh, and it's a really interesting question. So I think it, 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 this is, in some ways, is like the whole big picture story of the Bible, isn't mm. it? Um, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan comes along and says, you can be like God. You can have what yeah. God yeah. has. Uh, it's, it's not his alone. Mm. Um, but uh, the thing is, actually, it is God's alone. So glory belongs to God alone. He alone is glorious. He made everything. He alone has existence in himself. He, he has the wisdom to rule the world. Mm. And um, so I think if, if, if we look at a person, say, for if, if, if I was somebody, and to some extent we all are, but if I'm somebody who's all about my own glory, I'm always trying to mm. win glory for myself, it's ugly um, because I don't... I don't, I don't warrant that. I'm not worthy of yes. glory and honor and power and praise and yes. all the things that belong to God. Um, but God is. Yeah, okay. Uh, he is. He, he made everything. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, so these, this doxology at the end is verse 33, 35, 36. They, they pick up on a couple of Old Testament passages, yes. uh, Isaiah 40 and uh, Job um, 41, 42, uh, where this is the, the big point that's made really explicitly is that, that we people we, we we're so small and insignificant in mm. terms of creation we can't even comprehend what god is doing so you know god says to job do you know anything about what i how i run the world yeah. no you don't <laughs> yeah, that's right you know, and and yep. job goes oh oops mm. i'm an idiot i shouldn't have said anything um uh, and and that's i think you know, it is we need to humble be humble because we're not in control of everything yes. we don't know what god is doing mm. um but uh, but God doesn't need to be humble because yeah. he is he is massively greater than totally. than we can comprehend. Yeah. Um, so it's not wrong for him to want the glory. Yes. Um, but in addition to that, I think God knows that when other things get the glory, that's when everything goes wrong. That's that's mm. in one sense that's that essence of sin is Adam and Eve saying well, we'll take the glory for ourselves. Mm. And um, so when we trust in ourselves or we trust in something else, those things become little gods. And they can't deliver on yeah. the promises. Yes. And so yeah. the world is a mess. But when actually everything's rightly oriented towards God, who is glorious, giving him the glory that he deserves, mm. then we have heaven. Mm. Um, we have a world where everything is perfect. So it's actually good for us. When God gets the glory, things are good for us. Um, it's when we yeah. try and steal God's glory for ourselves that it all gets mucked up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, do you want to push on to the next one? I think question 10 is where we're up yeah, to. Yeah. So I'm glad to give this one to you. Um, it says here, what is God's limit on how many will be saved? Yeah. Uh, and it seems that there is a reason to accept Jesus and be saved lest you miss out. Yeah. What a great question. Um, short answer is, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I take it, and, it, and partly it is, well, whose perspective are we asking the question from? From from where we stand in creation, hearing the call of the gospel, as you've just said so perfectly before, um, the call of the gospel is anyone who comes to Jesus and puts their trust in him, they will be saved. So do that. And I guess the second half of the question is there, is there some urgency here? Well, yes, um, lest you miss out. Um, Jesus will return as a thief in the night and he may be back later on this afternoon and I pray that he would be. Um, so yes, if, you are, if you've not yet reached out and 
um, put your trust in Jesus, then do it now, brother, yeah. sister. Um, there is some urgency. Yeah. Is the urgency, however, that if you don't do it today, spot number you know, 10,005 will be taken and that's as many slots as there are and somebody else got it and I'll have to just twiddle my thumbs. I really want to come to God, but there's no spots left. Uh, no, I don't think that that's the way things work from our perspective. The, the answer, the, the call of the gospel is anyone who comes to me, I will not turn them away. Um, John 6 um, is, is, is the, the passage there. Um, that being said, from God's, um, the, the perspective of God's decree, and I take it we'll see something of this in glory, um, there is the Lamb's Book of Life. And again, we've spoken over this uh, in the podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, there is a, a number that God has saved from before the creation of the world um, that God knows, that, and, and all of those whom he has chosen will be saved. Um, but we don't have access to, to that knowledge that's beyond us. Um, we, I, I take it we will, we will see something of that in, in glory. Um, but for now, we stand on the words of, of the gospel, which is anyone who comes to me will be saved so but do it with some urgency because jesus might be back so don't delay yeah i think the other side of that also is um we talk about hardening as well haven't we Mm. whenever we we hear the call of the gospel and we say i might respond to that later Mm. uh, we are actually hardening our heart to it now yes and so uh that that putting it off till later very helpful often we put decisions off till later what we're really saying is no yeah Um, that's right and and that's the (laughs) the case here too isn't it yeah um, we're in danger of hardening our own hearts very helpful Yeah. yeah Okay, um, one for you then, Rod. I'm glad that you're going to answer. Um, is that if God bounds everyone over to disobedience, as per verse 32, uh, in order to show mercy, does that mean that naturally we're not disobedient, but we're just made disobedient so that God can show us mercy? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, and in fact, you know, the rest of Romans has been, in lot, lots of places, has been about exactly this. Mm. Uh, that, that's the nature of sin, is mm. that we are disobedient. Uh, and when we've... we've from the very first, rejected uh, God's rule and authority over us. We accept the lie, and we're we're bound to disobedience. That's not God didn't do that to us. That's mm. what we're like in yep. sin. Um, uh, so no, um, that we are naturally disobedient. And I think um, if you cast forward to eternity, um, uh, those who are not in heaven, those in hell, under God's punishment, um, they're not going to be sitting there being perfectly obedient to God because they're just mm. good and God's mm. left them alone and now they're going to be good. Um, mm. No, actually, they're going to be full-blown disobedient. Then we'll see what disobedience actually mm. looks like without God's constraints mm. that he constrains us with now. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it will be incredibly ugly. That's yeah. what makes hell so horrible. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate. Um, uh, last one here, I'll, I'll ask this one, uh, which is where does John Piper sit on this whole Romans uh, 11 Israel issue? Um, any ideas? Yeah, well, it's a really good question, but I think it's a question for a John Piper podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, um, but I'm sure if you go to the internet, you'll be able to find yeah, it. Yeah, so I have no idea. I, I haven't read what John Piper thinks on this issue, um, but I'm sure, yeah, you can find out. Uh, send it into him. All right, uh, now we'll turn the corner here a little, Rod. We've got some application questions uh, to kind of land the plane for us a little bit. Yeah, and I think this first one's for you, Sam, because it starts, Sam. Uh, <laughs> on Sunday, you mentioned anti-Semitism in Christians. And the question is, how is it that it's been so rife among Christians over thousands of years, even among yeah. some who know the Bible very well? And so it raised the question of Luther, who was very anti-Semitic. Yeah. Look, it's a great tragedy, and I think I said as much on mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, the question here is, how does it 
how is it possible that it's... Uh, I think in the same way that any sin is possible among Christians, that we are not yet all that we will be when we see God face to face because sin and our old fleshy self uh, remains at this point. Uh, there's a, a newness that begins by God's Holy Spirit working within us to, to transform us bit by bit into the likeness of Christ, mm-hmm. but there remains the old self that we daily need to put to death and i mean interesting to mention luther that was one of the things that luther Mm. said was it was part of the christian life was a daily repentance a daily dying to self that needs to happen um that luther even himself wasn't above and and it's i guess it's worth noting uh, luther definitely um in the in the latter part of his life did and wrote and said some um, truly uh, awful anti-semitic uh things and they need to be rightly called out and and uh condemned but I don't think that that means, therefore, we throw the entirety of Luther's um, ministry and writing and thought away. Although I think that is the pattern today in, in our kind of modern um, uh, kind of world. One of the things that we are doing is that if we see anything that is in today's view considered, um, you know, uh, wrong or, or um, uh, unrighteous, we... we completely cancel that person and anything that they did or said becomes um, kind of anathema um, tearing down statues and kind of rewriting history books and and all sorts of things Um, it's right to call out people's um, faults and no doubt I have many that uh, you know you who all know me will be well aware of but I hope that the fact that I have faults and that Luther has faults doesn't mean that the bits that we do get right we can't rightly honour and um, and celebrate um, because none of us is perfect and especially it's good to hear this about your theological heroes none of them are perfect you might have a you know a preacher or someone that you listen to all the time and you think they are just the best um, don't don't fall into the trap of idolising them or thinking that they are right on everything because nobody apart from Jesus is he is the one who got it always right uh, but. All of us have our, our grey, we're shades of grey, we have great, wonderful, good bits and then awful, black, horrible bits, um, and we need to acknowledge that nobody gets it all right, even dear Luther, who, who got so much of the gospel right, um, got it wrong on this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely right, yeah, and that's that's the glory of the gospel, isn't it, that we can be forgiven, yeah. we can be badly wrong, Yep. but and we're still right with God. That's exactly right, so... Yeah. yeah, but very helpful. And, you know, um, I stand by what I said. We, this is something that Christians, anti-Semitism cannot be part of a Christian um, kind of mindset, I, I think, and it's worth calling out and um, standing against. Maybe one other thing that I might want to say there, mm. Sam, just to say that um, uh, Luther and lots of these here is the past, they, they, are, they suffer from theological blind spots because of cultural mm. norms. Yes. Um, and I think it's, it's easy for us to sit here and look down on yes. them and say, well, look, they got all that wrong. Yes. And to fail to recognise that we're getting lots of things wrong because of our cultural blind spots too. Absolutely. And so um, when we see stuff like this, that's also a call to us to humble ourselves. And say, what are the things that our culture takes for granted? Um, yes. We're quite rich here in yeah. Sydney, for instance. Yep. Um, no one's talking about our greed and yeah. whatever. There might be all manner of things where we're getting it wrong. So Very that's helpful. also, if we're going to be humble, we need to look at ourselves as well as others. Very helpful. Thank you, mate. All right, uh, let, let's keep moving along here. Um, one for you, Rod. Does this mean that the Gentiles, that is most of us, are somehow lesser to God? We're being used by God to draw Israel back to himself. And I think it's a, it's a no. Um, uh, you do see throughout Romans in lots of places there is this sort of a theological priority that the gospel goes first to the Jews and then mm. to the Gentiles. Um, but uh, I think 
you know, we see this is the whole point in so eleven thirty two. God has bound everyone over to disobedience, mm. so that He may have mercy on them all. At the end, yes. uh, in front of the cross, we're all equally yeah. helpless to save ourselves, equally in need of God's salvation, and God offers mercy to both Jew and Gentiles. That's the point that we're mm. getting here. Um, but we are um, we are all lesser than God. I think that's mm. important that we say so. Uh, you know, this idea of is it right for God to use us in these ways to bring glory to himself for his mm. plan um, it feels wrong when we say it like that uh, we shouldn't be using people for our plans and purposes um, mm. well we shouldn't because yeah, we're right. not God yeah, uh, but, but actually God it's okay it. for God to do it because um, he made us yeah. and he made us for himself with a purpose mm. and a design uh, and uh, when we see him in eternity we'll recognise it's glorious yeah Yep, and chapter nine speaks of exactly that. Um, what if God wants to make you know some for glory and others for destruction? God is free to do that. It's fine for God. It's not okay for you and I to do that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, you've got uh, you mentioned the, the milkshake envy tactic in your sermon. <laughs> I did. And yes, it's, it's got people. Uh, yeah. A few questions on here. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, one, um, does this work for an only child? Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, two, how does this work in the modern day? Do we need to feel envious in order to turn to God? Yeah, thanks. I, I, look, I use the, for those who didn't hear my sermon, um, I, I made the illustration of, you know, a parenting tactic. If you've got one tantruming toddler, um, you offer good things to the other one, and all of a sudden they, they, uh, they sit up and take notes and think, hang on a minute, I want some of that. And they give up on their tantrum and they come and receive the blessing. A little bit like what God is doing with Israel here. Um, and uh, I said, look, that's a free parenting tip for you. Uh, you can take that one, you know, and use that if you need it. Um, for only child parents, look, I, look, you're on your own. I got, I got more than one. I, I've got no wisdom for you on how to how to handle only children. Um, good luck, I think is all I can say there. Um, <laughs> but uh, how does it work in the modern day? I think I can answer that one. Um, does do we need to feel envious in order to turn to God? No, I don't think that's right. I think it's talking about that. That is what God is doing amongst uh, as Jewish people see Gentiles taking hold of their their blessings of their birthright. Um, that that is uh, something that God is using in there, and it's interesting. On Sunday, I spoke to a lady where that was exactly the case in her mm. in her own conversion story. It was a great um, encouragement to me to see. Okay, here's God doing exactly what He said He would do. Um, uh, but no, I, we don't need to be envious to turn back to God. We need to be uh, repentant and responding to the gospel call. Up uh, chapter ten, um, thirteen. You know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. I, I take it that's what we need. God may arouse envy in us that we make that claim, but it's not the envy that saves us, but the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, one for you, uh, Rod. I've been, by the grace of God, I've been raised in a Christian family and I don't know a time where I didn't know Jesus is king. Thus, I feel like I haven't had a period of hardening in that I haven't wanted to turn or run from God. Is it possible, therefore, not to experience this hardening and go straight to accepting the gospel and knowing God? Uh, to clarify, there hasn't been a time where I have wanted not to be a follower of Jesus. Mm. Praise God for that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's great. Uh, um, and, and in terms of the question, I think the answer is uh, yes, it is possible not to experience this hardening. Um, mm. as, as you just said, Sam, the, the call of the gospel mm. isn't to go through all these steps. Yes. It's the, the gospel is declared to us and we respond in repentance and faith. Mm. Uh, and so I think what Paul is talking about here is going up into a really high level view and just talking about oh, at the level of whole mm. people groups, yes. Jews and Gentiles, and at the level of all of human history, yes. uh, this is how God works. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that every individual has to experience things exactly as it's 
Yeah, because we're talking about things yeah. as a whole here, aren't we? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So at that level of these sort of whole people groups, mm. God does this. But uh, in the level of our human hearts, it might feel quite different to us. Sure. But uh, th- that we're part of those, those wider norms as well. Great. Yeah, very helpful. Okay. So uh, we're going back to the envy tactic again. Um, <laughs> they loved it. It's uh, great. Um, does the envy tactic also apply to non-Christians today? Mm. Uh, there are times when life doesn't seem like something to be envious of. I take that means the Christian life doesn't seem like something to be envious of. Mm. Uh, so how do we navigate evangelizing when it might not seem worth it to become Christians for ourselves? Yeah, great. I, I love everything about this question. I love the even the heart that says we're trying to reach out to people and I'm keen, keen for that. Um, uh, I think uh, Paul here is, is clearly talking about the Israel question. Um, that's his focus. I think you can potentially tease out some implications to say that, um, that yes, God may work, uh, that as people see what Christians have, that the blessings of the gospel, that they would want them. That's certainly been my experience mm-hmm. as I've talked to people. I've had people say, uh, you, you know, um, you just seem to have a, a, you know, a, a contentment that I want. And where does that come from? You know, um, I think it's good to say, though, that if God chooses to, to create that in someone, it shouldn't be that they look at your house or your renovated kitchen or your, you know, um, mm. your, your kind of comfortable life or whatever it is and say, that's what I want is Christianity, that. And certainly some prosperity preaching, I think, operates in exactly that manner. Um, it should be that what they see is, is the blessings of the gospel, um, peace with God, um, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Um, these are the riches that God lavishes upon us through the gospel. And I think they are attractive things, yeah. but with them comes persecutions, as Jesus says. You know, you, you'll have all sorts of good things, and with them persecutions. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes the Christian life looks very hard and challenging, and it also looks like saying no to sin, uh, which can, with a short sightedness sin can look very appealing and uh, people can compare the two lives and think well I want the sinful pleasurable one not the self-denial life that looks really Mm -hmm. tough Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that's a short-term view and I think that those that God gives eyes to see can can ultimately uh, will come to see that there's something better about the Christian life that looks to eternity and and to the, 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 the true blessings of the gospel and I think those that uh, yeah, th- those are very appealing things um, for those with eyes to see. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think God can use that. Um, I don't know. Does that is that helpful? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's particularly what you said there that um, sin sometimes seems more mm. more appealing. And as Christians now, we are out of step with what the world considers the good life. Yes, and so yep. it might not look very appealing. Mm. But actually, when you when you invest in that, what are the outcomes? And you yeah. look at the world around us. It is a broken world. There's all that's sorts right. of pain. Um, but when you invest in the Christian life over time, yeah. you see that yeah. it bears fruit, yeah, good fruit. Very helpful. All right, last one, mate. We've made it to question 20. Um, can you elaborate on what it might look like to be humble and praise God for how he works? That's the end of this passage, isn't it? Yeah. You know, this doxology of praise. Uh, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, so there's lots of different things. I think in terms of this stuff that we've been talking about, you know, God's eternal plan, who's going to be saved, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, one thing I think that looks like is to say... Um, uh, I'm going to content myself with with trusting what God has said. Um, mm. if, if all my questions aren't answered, mm. um, I, I might I might try and find out. This Bible actually give me answers, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to demand answers. I'm not mm. going to say, God, you need to explain it to me before I'm going to accept it. Or yeah. you know, it, it all needs to make sense to me, or it mm. all needs to seem right to me before I'm going to accept it. Sometimes, mm. and I think particularly 
those passages that are quoted in that doxology. Mm, there's a humility there, isn't there? Yeah, God's yeah. paths are beyond tracing out at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think and another one, um, perhaps a bit more practical level, is, is when we experience suffering, when we experience anxiety, despair, fear, all those sorts of things where, where we're being reminded that we're not in control of the mm. world um, and we feel out of control and that, that frightens us, uh, mm. we find that difficult. Um, the call of humility at that point is to say, well, I trust God. Mm. It doesn't what I'm what I'm looking at and experiencing doesn't feel good. Yeah. And if I didn't know God, I might look at this and say, well, God's out of control, mm. or God's made a mistake, or God's getting this wrong. Yes. Um, but actually, I'm going to trust. I'm going to humble myself. Mm. My wisdom is limited. God's view is bigger. Um, and uh, God is good, even if I can't mm. see it. And I'm going to trust Him. And I think so. A really practical example we see in the Book of Acts is when Paul is imprisoned in Philippi. Mm. Um, he, he, I could well imagine me being in prison for telling the gospel, weeping and wailing and, yes. and, and banging the gates and saying, you've made a mistake, I shouldn't be in here, and, and praying, God, you know, what, what are you doing? Uh, when you say Paul, he's, he's actually singing hymns and praising mm. God. He's, mm. he's, he knows he's exactly where God wants him to be at that yeah. moment because he's there and because yeah. he trusts God. Um, yeah. And, you know, God uses that really wonderfully for people to be saved. And then later on, he writes to the Philippians. He's in prison again. Mm. And he doesn't say, please send money. He doesn't say, please get me out. Actually, he does say, please send money. <laughs> but uh, the, the tenor of the letter is not, woe is me. No, it's, it's joyful. Actually, it's it's I'm, you know, rejoice with me. Yeah. Uh, and he says, you know, I can, I can be content no matter mm. what uh, yeah. because I trust God. And I think that's a really powerful thing. That is very powerful. Lives. And actually, that's one of the things that will be attractive to outsiders. Indeed. When we're experiencing all these things, we're not thrown, mm. but we can say, actually, I know somebody who's in control here yeah. and I trust him mm. and I'm I'm choosing to trust him right now. I think that's a really powerful yeah, that's test. great. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, one last thought before we wrap up. Um, I, I think... It's also always worth just reading on in the book. Um, the very next line is, is Romans 12, that, that beautiful memory verse, you know, um, in view of God's mercy, um, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Um, so you want to know what it looks like to praise God. It's actually a, a transformed life in view of God's mercy, um, holy and blameless to God. Um, that that seems to be the, the very next verse that, yeah, that Paul absolutely. wants to answer. So um, often we think praise, we think of, you know, singing and, you know, um, church and those good things. Um, Paul says it as a whole of life thing um, at every point. So yeah, yeah. there we go. We've, we've made it, Rod. That's uh, that's the end of our questions for today. Um, it's also the end of the extras for the year. Um, we're going to take uh, a little bit of time off the podcast, uh, have a bit of a summer, uh, but there's lots happening on at church. Um, Christmas is coming, so it was the Thanksgiving services this Sunday. We'd love to have you along at one of them to just give thanks to God for all of His blessings through this year. And then Friday next week, uh, we've got uh, we've got Christmas Eve, seven p.m., eleven p.m. Come along and sing some carols and just celebrate Christmas. That's going to be awesome. Bring a friend along to that. That'll be a great time. Then Christmas Day, we've got North Rocks at nine fifteen. Nine fifteen. We've got Carlingford nine, eight and nine thirty. Uh, and then Boxing Day, we are having a combined service in the morning here at Carlingford and a afternoon and night church are having a picnic and uh, some, some great time of fellowship together uh, on Boxing Day. Uh, and then it's the end of January. Uh, Summerfest is coming. Uh, we've got a great series on, uh, on questions through the course of January. Um, 
we won't be doing a podcast through that time. We're going to uh, have some time off. Uh, and then we will come back in uh, so first part of term one next year with the extras again at that point. So I hope you have a great Christmas and a wonderful time celebrating all of the Lord's goodness to you. And uh, we will see you, God willing, over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah, great to have you, Rod. And we'll see you all later. <laughs>